I just pray. Lord, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and to share God's word with you all. Uh, as Dean mentioned, my name is uh, Jim Kena. Pastor here for 12 years in the Valley and now transitioned to YTI uh, to teach uh, pastoral theology. And I am so uh, excited about the future of YTI. If you have questions about that, I'd be happy to talk to you. But really, we're here to study God's word together. And uh, also, just to say real quickly, too, uh, I really respect Ryan. You have a good pastor, and uh, you need to encourage him in what he's doing. He is gifted, and I'm going to pray for you as you search for an associate that the right person will come alongside and, and help you do the redemptive purpose that you have as a church. So, again, thank you for allowing me to be here. And uh, uh, I want to talk about prayer this morning. You have your Bibles. We're going to look at the prayer of Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one of the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what follows then is Luke's model of the Lord's Prayer. And if you want to tweak that just a bit, I think if you were to walk up to the Apostle Paul and say, Apostle Paul, teach us to pray for others, he would say, read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Because what we see here in this text is, is a model of how to pray for other people. And so this morning, my objective is this. When you leave, you are better equipped to pray for other people. So I want you to do something. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. This can be actually an enriching exercise. I want you to look around at the people here in the congregation and ask the Holy Spirit to lay upon your heart someone in this room that you're supposed to pray for. And then what I'm going to do is show you how you can pray for them, even maybe better than you would right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to lay upon your heart someone in this room that God wants you to pray for, okay? Now, I won't embarrass you, but maybe at the end, you may walk up to them afterwards and say, you know, the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for you. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Okay, so just think along that. So here we're going to go. Uh, what we're going on, we're looking at is Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 21. And so here's the scripture reading. It goes like this. Uh, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, one of the things that you can overlook, but a key interpretive key to this, to understand it, is a very small word that probably you just passed right over. It's found five times. We want to look at four of the times are there. It's that little word, that. Notice the number of times the word that is there. And in the original language, this is uh, called a purpose clause. And, and it, the, that is there so that you do this, so that this happens, so that this happens, so that this happens. And one of the things you'll notice, there's four that's we want to look at. I pray this will happen so that this will happen. John Stott says this about this prayer. I like to think of the apostle's petition as a staircase by which he climbs higher and higher in his aspirations for his readers. And what we see here is there is an intensification that's unmistakable in what's going on as it begins to move up. So if you have your sermon notes and your note taker, I'm going to give you an acrostic. 
And we're going to do an acrostic with the word pray, P-R-A-Y. So we're going to look at this. We're going to pray, pray that this will happen, so that this will happen, so that this will happen. And the apex of our prayer will be right here. So the first thing we see in the beginning is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, is he prays for power. He prays for power. So that's the first letter in our acrostic. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here's the first thing he prayed for, power. But he prayed in a particular area. He goes, I pray that you'll be strengthened in your inner being. What's the inner being? The inner being is the unseen part of you, your mind, your spirit, your soul. It's in contrast to the outer being. And what he does is he prays for their inner being that they'd be strengthened with Holy Spirit power in their inter, inner being, in their strength. Now, I want you to just uh, replay some of the uh, small groups or Sunday classes where you have prayer requests and, and, and people begin to give all the different prayer requests. Would you think back and even look in the future when this happens again, how many prayer requests are for outer person things? For health, uh, for employment, uh, uh, we frequently pray for things for the outer person, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with praying for outer person things. The problem is it's incomplete. We're to complete praying for outer person requests with inner person because here's the reality. The most important part of you is the unseen part of you. So this is what Paul did for the Ephesians. He goes, I pray that you're strong in here. That you'll be strengthened in your inner person with power and strength. He is praying for Holy Spirit power. Why do we need it? Especially this time, we can be weary. And we need power to go through the weariness that we're experiencing in our life to persevere. In these times, you may be experiencing deep anxiety. We need Holy Spirit power for the peace of Jesus Christ to come over us in these times of anxiety and fear. Uh, your faith may be tossed to and fro. You may be questioning the truth of the gospel, and you need power in the inner person to believe and to hang on to the truth of the gospel in moments like these. Uh, you may be overwhelmed with fear, and you need Holy Spirit power to overcome that fear. In fact, God may be calling you to take a bold stand, to do that which is right, to stand up for something, and you're fearful, and you need that Holy Spirit power to be strengthening the person to do that very thing that you're fearful of to move over that step. <clears throat> you may go through a time of temptation, and you feel weak in face of that temptation. In fact, uh, you may be struggling with an attraction to somebody that you shouldn't be attracted to. What do you need? Holy Spirit power to stand up in the face of that temptation. Uh, and also we see later on in Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul tells us about spiritual warfare. And there are demonic forces that war against us. And he says, finally be strong in the Lord. We need Holy Spirit power. And, and one of the things that we, we, we need to grow through is growing in what God has called us to do spiritually in our inner person. One of my favorite texts is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul is so honest about what he was going through. And this is what he said. He goes, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Uh, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but uh, not uh, struck down. 
We're struck down, but not destroyed. How did he persevere through all that? If you go later on in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, this is what he says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And here's this why he didn't lose heart through all these things. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How did he continue through all that adversity? Daily, internal strengthening. So when you think of the person that you came to mind, would you pray that they'd be strengthened in their inner person? That you would be given through the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And so what he does then is this. He goes, I pray that they will be strengthened with power. And then we see that little preposition. So that. So what happens? So that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. So here's the next letter in our acrostic. It's the letter R, residence. He prays that we be strengthened in our person so that something would happen. Here's the so that. So that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, uh, initially, you look at that request, it seems a little bit bewildering. He goes, I pray you're strong in your person so that Christ will dwell in your hearts by faith. Hold it. When does Christ dwell in the hearts of believers? Is his dwelling, indwelling, contingent upon our being strong in our person? I've, I always understood that Christ came in to the point of salvation. That's when he began to dwell with us. Paul, are you saying, well, you got to be strong so that Christ will dwell in you? And that was confusing to me the first time I saw it. But then when I understood the original language a bit better, it helped me to get what he was he's talking about. And see that little word dwell? It's uh, in the Greek. It's an interesting word. It actually, it's... Uh, it's the, 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 uh, the root word is a word that you all know. <clears throat> it's uh, oikos, you know, the Greek yogurt. Uh, that word oikos means house. And, and the verb form of that is oikeo, which is to house. And, and so the word there, though, says this, that he wants God to, to uh, dwell within us. But what Paul uses is a word where there's a prefix, kata. Kata means this, down. So you have this idea of being housed down. And you put that, what it is, it's an intensification. It's not talking about just the presence of God. It is him, of Christ, take, being at home in your heart. So the question is this, is he in there? The question is this, is he at home in your heart. Because I pray that you'll be strengthening your person so that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart. Uh, Kim and I are coming up on 39 years of marriage here on August 21st. Uh, can you imagine the scenario when we got married uh, nearly 39 years ago? Uh, we moved into this little studio apartment, had one of those Murphy beds that popped down. It was a tiny little pace. She had all her stuff. I had all my stuff. And we began to move our stuff into one new apartment and began to unpack. Now, can you imagine the scenario <clears throat> if we're unpacking all of our things in our new little apartment? And all of a sudden, I open the box. I pull out a, a, a photo, and I put it up on the wall, and I get it just right. And she looks at that. She goes, uh, who's that? I go, oh, that's my first girlfriend. <laughs> she was so special to me. We'd go on the longest walks and talks. <sighs> She's sweet. So that's, that's why I went with that one. And I pull out another one. Well, 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 who's that? I go, oh, that was the first kiss. 
Oh, uh, we dated for a while, and she was really special to me. And I just can't imagine not just thinking about her from time to time. And remember, this is back in the '80s. Can you imagine if all of a sudden I pull out a, a, a picture of, of Farrah Fawcett, and she'll go, "Did you date Farrah Fawcett?" I said, "No," but if I had met her, I would have. What would she have thought if those paintings were in, or those photos were in my house? She would say, I am not going to what? Really settle down and be at home here with those on the wall. You need to take those down. Because I'm your wife. I'm your only love. You're first in my heart. And this is, I think, what he's saying. I want you to be strengthened in the inner person so that this is what's going to happen. Jesus is more and more at home in your heart. Here's a question for you. Is Jesus in the lazy boy of your heart? Or are there other loves plastered on the inside of your life that you love more than Jesus Christ? He's there. But when we rid ourselves of those, so what does it do? How do we get rid of those things? We need power in our inner person so that we can clean house so that Christ is more and more in your heart. So here's the second thing to pray for your person. Would Jesus be at home in their heart? Would he kata oikeo? Would he settle down? Will he be at home in the presence of their hearts? Because this is what happens. If you are strengthened in your inner person so that you can clean house so that Jesus is at home in your heart, there's something else that begins to happen. So we pray for power so that Christ would take residence of it so that the third thing will happen is an awareness. See, when Christ is at home in our heart, when he is in the lazy boy of our heart, this is what happened. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Uh, he begins to just stack request upon request upon request in this particular section. And he goes, I want you, having been rooted and established in love. So this is what he says. He's not saying, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. He goes, because you are rooted and established in love. Okay, we're working from, not for. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you were rooted and established in love. That's your position. Now, being rooted and established in love, he wants you to have the power to grasp with all of God's holy people. And here it is, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Uh, I like that phrase, uh, a grasp. Uh, he goes, I want you to, to really get a hold of something. Do we have any teachers here? Yeah, any teachers? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Teachers. I love teachers because I am a teacher now. We as teachers, this is what we love. This is what, uh, this is what keeps us going. Is that moment when you begin to teach your subject to your student and all of a sudden you see this, ah, I got it. I get the mathematical equation. I get the significance of that historical event. I get the science behind it. We light up when our students go, aha. And this is what he says. I want you to pray. I'm praying for you that you will get 
the four dimensions of God's love for you. Here's what's transformational. If we really, really deep down get a hold of this fact that God truly does love us, it rocks your world. It changes you forever and ever and ever. When I was 20, I began to grasp that God loved me, that led me on the trajectory of 40 plus years of ministry. And one of the best things we can pray for someone else is this. They get how much that God loves us. And this is what John Stott says about this, this prayer. He says, uh, this love is uh, broad enough to encompass all humanity, long enough to last all eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. And this is what he says. I, I pray that you would know. And the know there is this, this uh, idea of experiential knowledge. Uh, there's a similar concept in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So what he's praying for is, he says, I pray that you would get the fourfold dimension of God's love for us. Because when we understand how deeply, deeply he loves us, and, I, and it, there's a point at, at this time when I look at this text and I think of you, I, I just wish there was some way to reach into your soul so that you could grab how much God really loves you. And in the person you're to pray for this morning, would you pray that they would really get a hold of how much the God of the universe truly, truly loves them? I'm telling you, when we understand the depth of God's love for us, a thousand and one of our problems are solved, aren't they? That we rest in the fact that he truly, truly does love us. So you kind of see this staircase, what's going on. It's because I pray that you'd be strengthened in your person. Why? So that Christ will be at home in your heart. Do you know what happens? When Christ is home in your heart, he begins to clarify how much God truly, truly does love you. Now, there's two things I think that every Christian needs to accept or understand about God. The first question is this, does God accept me? And if so, upon what basis is that acceptance? When you know that God accepts you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and your simple faith in him, and that he loved us so much that he died for us, it is revolutionary in our thinking, our life, isn't it? It changes us. So at this point, he began to pray for an awareness of how much God loves us. And then we come to the last one, uh, verse uh, 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, this word would be yield. So he says, I pray, P, for, for power in your person, what, what will happen if you have that? So that our Christ will take residence with us. He'll be at home within us. When he's in home with us, what happens? Oh, we become aware of how much God loves us. And when we're aware of how much God loves us, we want to yield ourselves to his authority in our lives. Uh, this is what it says one more time uh, to understand how much that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. So what does it mean to be filled to the fullness of God? Uh, one of the things that we seek frequently in Scripture is this idea of being filled has the idea of uh, being controlled or dominated. Early in Genesis, we see that the world was filled with violence and God's heart was filled with pain because of the violence in the world. 
Uh, this idea of being filled, this idea of, of it is what controls you. That's what influences you. Later on in the book of Ephesians, this is what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, <clears throat> do not be drunk with wine. Uh, we're in his excess, as the old King James used to say. But be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the comparison and contrast? He's comparing drunkenness, which is what? Being filled with too much alcohol. And when a person is filled with too much alcohol, they're controlled and dominated by that. And sometimes unchecked, they become what? Alcoholics, and their life is controlled and dominated by alcohol. My dad was a preacher, and this is one of my favorite things I remember him always saying. He said this, Bud doesn't make Bud wiser, it makes Bud dumber. When a person is filled with alcohol, they do stupid things. They do dangerous things. Because what? They're controlled and dominated by something outside themselves. And Paul says, don't be filled in that way. Drunkenness is sin. But be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit in a positive way. The idea of this, then, is that you allow God to assume more and more control of your life. He takes more and more authority in your life. It's, it's like this. It's almost like saying to God, I want you to take the keys of my life and drive. You're in charge. That's a frightening prayer to pray, isn't it? That's a frightening prayer to look to the guy. You're like, okay, God, I want to be filled. I want to be, I want to be filled to the fullness of you. I want to be in control of you. you. You know, the only way that I would let anything control me is if I really, really knew how much they love me. And the only way we can really know how much God loves us is if Jesus is at home in our heart. And the only way what Jesus can be at home in our heart if we are strengthened in our person so they remove the other loves and we have a singular focus on Jesus Christ. See how they're connected? This is why we can pray, Lord, fill me with you because you love me, you're good, I trust you. Listen, uh, uh, there's probably maybe some of you, I might not let you drive my car. I don't know you. But for those I know, well, you could drive my car. And it's a fearful thing to say, God, I want to feel controlled, dominated by you. But perfect love casts out fear. Uh, what we see here in this prayer, then, is, is the apex. And this is where he wants us to bring people. And this is where he wants us to bring you. To be filled to the fullness of God. There's another term for that, being filled for the fullness of God. Being godly. What one thing would you like people to say about you? I would like people to say about me, he's godly. Try to think of something better than that. 
And that's where the apex of your prayer comes. When you pray for other people, you pray that they will be godly, that, you'll be fit, that they will be filled with God. So when you begin to think to your person, you know, pray for power so, that, so that, uh, that Christ may be at home in their heart, so that they were aware how much God loves them, so that they're filled to the fullness of God, that they're looking more and more like God himself. Now, this is where things get really, really fun here, I think. And here's a cool reality for us to see. The word that's repeated about four times, we've said. There's another small word that's repeated several times. It's this, you. I pray that you, I pray that you, I pray that you, I pray that you. In the original language, that is not you singular. That's you, plural. He's praying to the church. I grew up in southern Missouri, almost in Arkansas. Uh, We had a beautiful word back there that we'd use. It's called y'all. Can you say it with me? Y'all. Yeah. That's you, plural. And this is what he's saying. If you all are filled with inner power, if you all are a group of people where Christ is home in your heart, if you all are aware of how much you love it, if you all, together as a community of believers, what's going to happen is really cool. Well, look at the next verses. Here's the doxology. <clears throat> Now to him who is able to do a measure more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know what happens in a community of believers when they're filled with the fullness of God? God does a measure more than you can ask or imagine. What's your preferred future for Spring Hill Church? When you look to the future for this church, what do you want to see? What do you want to do? What, what do you, to use Paul's words, what do you imagine? And this is what Paul says to a community of believers who are filled with the fullness of God. God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine to his glory. This community in this strategic time that you're going through as a church, it can do more than you ever, ever dreamed of. Let me wrap things up. Uh, uh, if I ask you, what are, what are some of your favorite books? You'd probably go down, oh, I like this, I like this, I like this one. And actually, uh, one of my favorite books is maybe not so much the content. It's just the physical book. Do you have physical books that it's the book itself physically that's really, really special to you? And this is one of those books. Forty years ago, my first year of Bible college, I picked up this book, and it's Turning on Spiritual Power, a study of Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. The first time I really read and studied this passage was 40 years ago. 40 years ago, I started praying this prayer, and I have not stopped praying it. I've been praying this prayer, Paul, for 40 years. And as I stand back over 40 years of praying this prayer, he has done immeasurably more than I could have asked or imagined. If you'd asked me, 20-year-old me, Jim, do you know someday you're going to be standing in the pulpit of Spring Hill Church in Bozeman, Montana, preaching the gospel? I would go, no! And if you knew not my trajectory, I am blown away that I'm here and so honored to be here. 
Why is it? Because to see what God does in a person fully surrender to him is amazing. And I know I didn't do a thing. I just obeyed him. So I want to pray for you. But this is what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some time and space to pray for your person in this room. If you don't want to tell them that they were the person you chose to pray for, that's fine. Don't do it. But if you want to, that might mean something to them. But let's pray together this prayer, okay? Father, we pray for our person for power. Strengthen them in the inner person. If they are weak, may you give them strength. Are they discouraged, may you give them encouragement. Father, we pray for Holy Spirit power. Father, we pray for residents that there would be a, 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 your son Jesus would be at home in our hearts. And Father, the more that uh, your son is at home in our heart, may you give us a deep understanding of how much you love us. May we grasp the four dimensions of your love. May we see the depth of your gospel and your beauty. And Father, we pray that we would be a people who are fully yielded to you, that we are so filled with the fullness of your son, Jesus, that people can't help but see Jesus in us when we live our lives. So Father, I pray for this church <clears throat> that you would do immeasurably more than this community of believers could ask or imagine for your glory. That being filled with your spirit, that you would be glorified for this body and that your gospel would go forth from this community of believers and that countless people would come to know you because of the ministry of Spring Hill Church. We pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.